Hi, it's Ian Brodie of ianbrodie.com here and welcome to another in this series of podcast interviews on authority marketing. Um, with me today on the line is Charles Green. Uh, you, many of you will know Charles from his books, The Trusted Advisor and Trust-Based Selling, and his many appearances in the media, including on CNBC. So welcome to the call, Charles. Thank you very much, Ian. It's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. Uh, now, um as many of the listeners will already know, because you're a very well-known name, certainly in the field of professional services and consulting, you know, you've built a really strong reputation and really become the expert on trust in business. Was this niche something you explicitly picked out in advance, or, or did you kind of fall into it as, as, as a result of doing quite a lot of work in the area? Uh, well, definitely number two. I'm one of those uh, fell-into-it uh, kind of people. I, I think... Um uh, I sort of pursued my ambition and, and uh, I think generally have not seen an awful lot further than the end of my nose. <laughs> and um, my instincts have been, you know, more often right than wrong. Uh, mm -hmm. But I, I can't say it was terribly intentional or, or well thought out. So uh, I think I've, I've kind of stumbled into it as I went along. I just followed what was very interesting to me, which were trust, as you said, mm -hmm. professional services. And uh, it turns out there's enough people interested in that. So when you were in the early days with that, and, and obviously you and uh, Rob Golford with David Meister wrote uh, The Trusted Advisor, yes. was that, at that point, did you begin to think, actually, this is now an area, a beginning of, of focusing rather than working on anything else, I'm going to stick with the trust area? Or again, did you just keep going after that and just more trust stuff happened to come up? Well, that's one, I guess, where, where I was a little more deliberate. Uh, uh, Galford and I had known each other for years. I had been acquainted with Maester many years prior. And uh, uh, the, the quick story was Galford and I were lucky enough to be hired uh, along with Columbia and Kellogg Business School to do a piece of a large effort for Deloitte & Touche, one of the big four accounting mm -hmm. firms. And uh, very early on in that effort, the, um, uh, the man in charge of partner programs for Deloitte asked Galford and myself, could you guys put together something on the notion of a trusted advisor? Well, I had never thought about that before, nor had Galford, but we're good consultants. Draw two axes, figure out what to call them, and there's your two-by-two two matrix. So, uh, and, and actually, quite literally, Galford did that, and that ended up being exhibit one in the book. Well, we developed that material from 20 minutes into a day or so worth of material over the course of half a year, decided there's probably a book here, mm -hmm. and uh, we started writing it. Um, could not find an agent who would uh, get interested in it. This was a time of good to great. And they all said, data books sell. There's yeah. no data in here. And we said, well, it's a wisdom book. And they all said, well, that won't sell. And fortuitously, I think it was Galford actually, bumped across Maester again. And Maester said, that's funny. I'm doing the same book. Why don't we team up forces? As long as I'm the lead author, I can guarantee you a book. So we thought about a nanosecond and said, yeah. welcome, lead author. And uh, <laughs> Uh, and when we finished that, Galford went back to being what he was, which is a, a journeyman, a, a generalist, uh, educator, trainer, mm -hmm. uh, teacher. Uh, Maester continued to be the reigning guru of professional services, and I'm the one who said trust. Now, that's really an interesting topic. Right. And so there, in that case, there was some intention. It was almost the trigger point for you, was it? The book itself was um, after that and after the reaction you decided uh, to, to, to continue your focus? Well, yes. The, the book for me was a, uh, was a big turning point. Having a book 
I don't know if this is going to be true 10 years from now, Ian. It's an mm. interesting question. The publishing industry is in huge turmoil. Of course. But uh, it's still very valuable. Uh, if you have a book, you will lose money on the book, and you should lose money on the book if you're a business speaker because it's the greatest calling card in the world. Mm. It beats the heck out of a brochure. Uh, it still uh, has a certain patina for people. Um, certainly in my career, it was very useful. What's your what's your perception on on books nowadays? I'm going to ju- because you brought the topic up. I'm going to jump ahead a bit in my questions. Yeah. But you, um, for example, it's a lot easier nowadays, of course, to self publish. Do you think that a book by a, a commercially recognised publisher still carries that bit more prestige, or do you think p- people are beginning not to notice? Well, different people have. I still notice it myself, no. uh, and I think I'm in the minority. Uh, uh, Maester, for example, says it makes no difference at all. Um, and, and increasingly, he's going to be right. Uh, the economics of self-publishing are already very compelling. Mm. Uh, uh, publishers can still do one thing for you, which is get you into chain bookstores, although you may have noticed over on this side of the pond, Borders Books just went Chapter 9 or Chapter 11 bankruptcy the other day. Yeah, it went, it so went that, earlier for us. Yeah, it went last year for yeah, us. There you go. And uh, I think Amazon crossed the line six months ago uh, where they were selling more ebooks than paperbacks mm. uh, for the first time. So clearly that writing's on the wall. Uh, that said, I mean, the, the real function that publishers have maintained is a curatorial function, an endorsement function, a, a channel certification of quality. And absent that, it is chaos out there. It's anarchy. Mm. And, and those who are able to best establish uh, marketing in this Wild West sort of uh, world will They'll, they'll do fine. I look at Chris Brogan, for example, tremendous mm. success. Now, he happens to have been with Wiley Publishers, but I think it was Chris that did it, not Wiley. Yeah. I think in Maester's case, he I think his last couple of books were probably self-published, weren't they? But, that's of course, his, his name had been built by then. Well, that's right. Once you've got five or six books, you can afford to say, yeah, <laughs> I think I'm on my own. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So going back to the that stage where you'd you'd written the book, you'd uh, Rob Gelford had gone off in his uh, his direction, Mister was back in his direction, but you thought right. there's something in trust for me. Did you then, as a as a strategy for building your business around trust, did you deliberately set out to become a? I guess you were already had become so, somewhat of a recognized expert through the book, but was it a deliberate strategy to continue down that path of being a well-known expert versus, for example, being a practitioner who, who does it and, and, and is you know, maybe the, the best-kept secret in the industry, as it were? You know, honestly, I'm just scrambling to pay the mortgage like anybody else right. and, and uh, uh, was looking for you know consulting assignments, and I considered – speaking and publicity as, as ways to do that, and uh, I, I did not set out with any deliberate intent to develop a reputation uh, as an authority, and, and I don't say that with any great pride. I, I'm just not, a, mm, not just very good happened, yeah. at setting goals. Yeah, it's what happened, and you know, I can look in the rearview mirror and say this worked and that didn't. Mm. Uh, I, I probably should have been more deliberate in my career, but as I said, I did get a few things right and a few things wrong, so maybe I can help some of your listeners with that. Uh, it would help to be more intentional. <laughs> yes, although although there is, a, you know, a, a, a view. A, it, it's an oft-repeated view that you know you need to set goals, and if you can't manage, measure it, you can't manage it, etc. But a lot yes. of people seem to do very well by kind of muddling through. <laughs> Well, I personally, you you pick one of my uh, uh, target things there. I hate that notion, if you can't measure it, you can't management. If you think for 10 seconds about that, it's false on the face of it. There are 100 ways to manage without measurement. Mm. Uh, So the the real issue is how do you get things done? 
And you look at Malcolm Gladwell's rule, for example, 10,000 hours, it's necessary but not sufficient condition. But if you're talented and focused and uh, halfway intelligent, you put 10,000 hours into something, you'll probably end up with something. And that's very much what I did. I focused on this trust thing and went where it led me and tried to stay inquisitive and, and uh, struggled against my worst instincts to stay open to input from other people. <laughs> and, uh, and it, you know, it worked. It worked pretty well, I'd say. Right. So that, so that it, in some ways then that you, the, the, I guess the goal you did have or the direction you moved in was just in focusing in the trust area. And, and I'm assuming from what you, how, how what you've said has come across that that was an area that really took your interest. You, the... Well, it did. I think, um, my, my background, I, I worked in, I majored in philosophy and then I ended up working for 20 years in, in a consulting firm, partly as a consultant and then partly as in a variety of internal mm. functions, and it, I became very interested in how it is that one manages, uh, you know, the metaphor of herding cats or, mm. or a slightly neurotic, firstborn, left-handed, overachieving, uh, um, insecure egomaniacs <laughs> uh, dealing with intangible services. All that ends up dealing enormously with questions of ego, uh, insecurity, influence, psychology. And I found this trust stuff very much plays in that direction. Um, what led me, actually, when we finished writing The Trusted Advisor, it was somewhat clear in my mind that we were missing something. That book basically focuses on how to be trustworthy. Mm -hmm. um, it does not focus nearly as much on trusting. And the truth is you can't have one without the other. You can't just be trustworthy all the time and never take a risk yourself. After right. a while, people won't trust you. And more importantly, that book did not deal with corporations or entities or organizational trust. It dealt very much with personal yes. trust, which is right. But um, there were two things that were missing. One of them was a set of organizational principles that you could generalize beyond you know, the interior of one's skull and, and talk about building a network. So there were four trust principles that I thought very hard about. I don't like thinking about principles. Uh, it's too vague for me, but I banged away at it and came up with a set of four principles which happened to be contained in a book called Trust-Based Selling, which was the other thing that interested me. I, it really became, other people were saying, why don't you write about trust and leadership? And I thought, I, I can't even tell if leaders, that leadership stuff is in a noun or a verb, an adjective. I, <laughs> it's just too fuzzy for me. And um, uh, But what was very clear to me was where personal psychology meets capitalism is at the spear point of the sale, where an individual human being has to look at another person and talk about money mm. on behalf of. And all the ego comes to play there, as you know, and all the, all the crazy psychology meets up with all the phrases that you've heard that you're supposed to execute on a process, mm. and it's, it's the place of, uh, of holy terror inside your head. <laughs> and I thought, well, this, this is really the interesting place where trust comes to roost. And uh, I had not really done much in the field of sales other than a little bit of professional services selling mm -hmm. myself. But that I thought that's where the interesting stuff is. And it continues to be for me. So so you again, um, as leading to trust based selling, you 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 kind of followed your interests and your passions. And then yes. I guess with two books de facto, you're an expert, aren't you? That's, that's two is a trend, isn't it? Well, <laughs> it's certainly a straight exactly. line. <laughs> one, one is a point, two is a, is a line. That's right. Yeah, so you, three, maybe the third would be the trend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I do have a third coming out, by the way. It's oh. uh, with Wiley, uh, uh, the Trusted Advisor field book, ah. which I'm writing with my colleague, Andrea Howe. 
So that definitely will be a trend by then. There you go. Yes, it'll be a trend by then, right. <laughs> so, um, as you said, you didn't. A, a lot of the time you weren't doing things deliberately, but as you now look back, um, when it comes to the, the reputation you obviously have built um, in your field, what do you think were the, were the things you did that, that really helped the most with that? And, uh, obviously, we talked about the books, and that can still still carries a, a huge degree of cachet. But uh, you talked about speaking. Um, that could be working and networking with peers, other people in, in the sector. Yeah. What, what were the things that seemed to work well for you? Well, no question the book was a big one. And I think that will continue to be big for people in the foreseeable future, meaning next, certainly the next five years or so. That was big for me. Uh, another thing that was really big for me was getting into blogging early on. And, and that, again, was a little serendipitous. I asked Maester for advice in writing trust-based selling because Trusted Advisor was a one-off collaboration of three people, and Maester kind of played project manager on it. He told me the way he wrote his first book, uh, was he got a contract with American Lawyer to write an article a month for a year, and he said, right now I'm on the hook. I've got to do it. Hmm. And once you've written 12 articles, as he put it, you throw them up in the air, watch where they fall down on the floor, resort them a little bit, and voila, there's your book. Wow. And uh, uh, roughly, that's I, I kind of got that. That made sense to me. I have always found it easier to work out my ideas in the territory of 800 to 1,200 words at a time. And that's that's a long blog. Mm. So I started my blog, I forget, 2007 or something. And it's essentially been a, a place to work out ideas, you know, get your chops down, as the musicians would say, mm. work it out, try it out with people. And, and that enormously helps to develop one's thinking. And, and along the way, you know, you get listeners, you get advisors. So to me, the blog was huge. I still think blogs are big. Mm. Um, uh, they're, you know, I think the new RSS feeder is driven by Twitter. Um, but blogs still have a big place in that. It's what a lot of good Twitter stuff refers to. Indeed, yeah, and and Twitter great for for messages and and perhaps relationship building even, but but not for what you just talked about before, which is really um, exploring your own thinking. And uh, no, you can't. You know, there's a, a clear limits with 140 characters, but you can point people there. You can yes. make connections. I, I find it very useful, as I think you do too. Mm. Uh, I, I wish I had um, – I, I got into Twitter somewhat early. I'm glad I did. I wish if there's one thing that I should have done better, it was network better. I have tended to be, you know, partly because of who I am, I tend to be a little bit of, in, of an inward person. Right. So I have these, you know, extensive inner dialogues with myself, and some of it resonates with other human beings, and, and therefore, you know, the books sell. But the truth is I should have been more deliberately outreaching uh, I, I'm kind of glad to hear you say nice things about my uh, reputation that appeal. Uh, the truth is it should be broader for all the depth that I have. And I mm. have spent a lot of time cultivating and focusing and developing a, a fairly concentrated audience. I should have been and I'm trying now to become a little bit more broad. And do you think that's going to benefit not only, obviously, your appeal, but also the, the, the quality, the level, the... The, the, and I guess the variety of your thinking on these topics to get get that broader input as well. Oh, absolutely. I, I kick myself at least once a month when I discover, wow, why did I never talk to architects before? Because they just taught me this. Or uh, I never realized, you know, what a um, uh, uh, an internal finance function faces when they're charged with enforcing um, securities violations or something, whatever mm. it is. And every time I reach outside my comfort zone, 
uh, I always resist it, and I never regret it. And uh, broadening your reach to other people, being forced to defend your thinking, and the biggest thing it teaches you is to be curious all the time, which is the best thing in the world to be, to become trusted, I think, is to eternally be curious. So um, I have to operate a little bit against type to do it, but I, I never regret it. Right. Actually, you talked you talk there about um, reaching out and starting talking to people um, a broader base than you've traditionally talked to. And in some ways, if, if I look back on the things you've written, you, it has been, I've, I've seen a kind of general broadening out that, you know, the trusted advisor, as you say, was very much for consultants and professional advisors. Trust-based selling is the sub, narrow in terms of selling, but of course that deals with a broader range of people. But now if you look at your blog and read the things you're talking about, um, it's very broad-based. It's about trust in politics, trust in personal life, trust in business. Um, and in some ways that broadening goes against the countervailing wisdom of you really need to niche and focus in order to make your mark. Um, do you think you've been able to do that broadening because you'd already made your mark? Or was it, you know, would you start out broader now if you, if you had your time again? Well, that, that's an interesting question. I, uh, what, what you remind me of is an old guideline of McKinsey. Uh, they use the letter T to describe what you just talked about. And the suggestion is that early in one's career, one develops the vertical part of the letter T, the depth, mm. the, uh, the narrow focus, and you become an expert. And then long around mid-career, they urge you to begin broadening out and, and, and becoming broader. I think that makes a lot of sense. I just think that people in their, let's say, in their early 30s, uh, who haven't got a lot of depth, just haven't got much to say about breadth. Mm. Uh, why, why should I listen to somebody talk about politics if, if um, you know, they, they don't know much about any particular thing? Mm. Uh, if they become an expert in politics, that's great. Um, maybe this sounds ageist or something, but I, I do think that um, experience and perspective um, gives you some kind of qualifications or greater level of, of wisdom. Mm. Um, and, and you get there, I think, by focusing. So uh, that's if anybody wants to do anything remotely like what you and I have done, my advice would be go deep for a decade or two. And then, then broaden from there. Yeah. yeah, and broaden from there, right. It will inform your thinking. It will give you a base to react to things and understand things. And um, I think it serves you well. And you then earned the right to give broader advice yeah. and, to, and to move on, yeah, as you say. Um, and, and it, it, it is ever so tempting. I do remember from my, from my own career that early on I was so, you know, I, I, I suppose it, it, it's true of many consultants, especially when you join a big firm, that you've, you've been the rising star in your own um, business that you worked in before. You do your MBA, you get top marks, you think you're a star, but you're only one amongst many stars. Uh, <laughs> and if you try and be, in fact, I remember a very specific piece of mentoring I got from my mentor when I first started was that, you know, this firm is a firm full of stars. You can't be the, you know, the, the, the knowledgeable about absolutely everything we do. Right. Need, even though, and I, and I found myself really wanting to get into, you know, I want to get into some operational, some marketing. Oh, the strategy looks interesting this week, etc. But thank, right. thankfully, thanks to the good mentoring I got, I then focused on certain areas. Eventually, it, it grew into marketing and sales. Um, and people actually, as you say, started listening to me. I earned the right to be listened to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a funny thing. I um, one of the. Uh, findings that we get in the uh, we have a trust survey self mm. self uh, testing survey based on the work of the trust equation and one of the findings is that people get more trustworthy as they get older by mm. their own assessment 
It's oh. a self-assessment test. So it may be suspicious, but I don't think so. And as a test for it, and I ask people in the room and just say, raise your hand if you think that today you are more or more trustworthy than you were when you were 21. And, you know, everybody raises their hand. Uh, but I guess what's really interesting is that people in their 20s and 30s rate themselves as less trustworthy than people in their 40s and 50s and 60s. Yeah. It's a continual progression up. So I think we, I think there's something there. Yeah, it reminds me of a piece of advice I think Ford Harding gave about if you were, if you want to become a mentor to people, the best strategy is to get older. <laughs> right. <laughs> Very right. <laughs> yeah. That's like in terms in terms of heredity, the best strategy is pick the best parents. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> Charlie, that's been really great so far. One final question for you. I think you've begun to begun to answer, but it was if you were a consultant starting out today, um, and you were you know a few years into your career, or or you'd had a successful business career and you were setting up a consultant or a coaching practice, something like that. And you wanted to become known as an expert in your field. It's not the only strategy to succeed as a professional right. advisor, but but it is one good strategy. Uh, what yes. would your advice be for those people just beginning to, to try and establish themselves as an expert? Well, um, I'd say two things. Uh, one is, you know, do do the hard work. Uh, there aren't shortcuts. You know, get good at what you do. Mm. Put in the time. And the other one, though, is uh, I I spent too much of my career being fearful. And uh, afraid of being judged, and and uh, you know that's a malady that's common to a lot of people. Mm. Uh, and the antidote to that is not to be arrogant; it is to be humbly curious. You know, just stop obsessing about yourself. Go find out about other things. Talk to people and listen to what they have to say. And it turns out not only will you learn a ton that way, but people appreciate being listened to at the same time. Mm. So the ability to do that is itself career enhancing. So, you know, get good at what you do and be very open and don't uh, don't worry too much uh, about yourself. Be oh. curious. Okay, brilliant. Well, thank you very much for all this advice, Charlie. It's been a real pleasure. If people want to find oh, out yes. more about your work and uh, obviously trust and all the and uh, professional service and all the things you do, where should they go? Uh, they should go to my website. I have a blog called Trust Matters, and they can find the blog and everything else at, at www.trustedadvisor.com. Trusted Advisor, the English spelling, O-R, dot com. Excellent. I do appreciate that English spelling there as well. And I, <laughs> and I have to say, as as a regular reader and commenter on your blog for, I think, since late 2007, so maybe not long I, after I it started, it um, you know, I, I regularly go back and regularly the most thought-provoking articles, the ones I read, are on your website, so really worth it for people. Oh, well, thank you so much, Ian. I appreciate the comment very much coming from you especially. Thank yeah, you. Ab absolute pleasure. It's, uh, I, don't, I don't make that comment lightly. It really is. You know, where I go. Sometimes I stay away from your website if I don't want to be challenged. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll avoid it for a few days if I don't want to think. So it, uh, oh, it really my. is well worth it. Okay, thank you very much, Charlie. As I say, it's been a real pleasure. Much appreciated. Thank you, Ian. Likewise. Brilliant. Bye Cheers. Bye-bye.